1: Hello and welcome to All Things Therapy. I'm your host, Lisa Tahir. I'm a licensed clinical social worker practicing as an intuitive psychotherapist. And I thank you for joining my guest and I today for episode 175. Please continue to share and subscribe to this podcast. I invite you and ask if you would take your time out to also do a review and to rate my podcast. I would like to reach more listeners with the tagline of this show, which is changing consciousness, one conversation at a time. And my guest today is definitely doing that. I will introduce her in just a few moments. I want to let you know that I am available to work with you as your practitioner. I'm certified in EMDR as a Reiki level two practitioner and as a certified thought coach through the Institute for Transformational Thinking. And I have offices in both New Orleans and Los Angeles for in-person sessions. And I do remote sessions through phone, Skype, and FaceTime. I'm going to invite you to join my email list through my website, which is NOLA Therapy, the abbreviation for New Orleans, Los Angeles Therapy, because I'm releasing my first book in October of 2020, having to do with healing. Our deepest core wounds through empathy and self-forgiveness. And I'd like to be able to get that information out to you. So there's a link at Nolatherapy.com to join my email list. And let's see, I think that's everything on the front for Nolatherapy and... The podcast. Okay. My guest today, it is a treat. I love when I have another licensed clinical social worker on, especially a woman with such wisdom and knowledge as my guest today, Terry Cole. And if you want to follow along online, it's terrycole.com spelled T-E-R-R-I-C-O-L-E. She started out as a talent agent for actors and supermodels jetting between Los Angeles and New York and finding herself from what I gathered to just feel really depleted and uninspired. And that took her on a journey to make a bold career change into clinical psychology as a psychotherapist. She now works with fortune 500 CEOs, TV personalities, and professional athletes. Her Her passion and real mission is to empower women, which she does weekly through her blog posts, her online videos that I've been watching, her podcast, and published articles. Terry is also a TEDx speaker. We're going to talk about that today on fear and a way to reconceptualize fear. She's been featured on media outlets such as Elle, Glamour, CNN, Bravo, Cosmopolitan, the New York Times, Hey House, VH1, and The Real Housewives, to name a few. I want to let you know she is a really great YouTube channel at Terry Cole, Real Love Revolution. She has a program coming out called The Real Love Revolution in the new year. We're going to talk about that. And I just want to welcome and thank you, Terry, for joining us today.
0: Well, thank you for having me, Mies. I'm so excited.
1: Me too. So where, and you're welcome, where should we start on this conversation on self-discovery, empowerment, and finding our purpose?
0: Well, I can say from where, you know, my point of view, what I'm most interested in, what I talk about, what I uh, lecture about, what I'm writing about is boundaries, sort of the power of. Um, creating healthy boundaries, understanding, you know, raising your boundary IQ, how that really does change your life. So I'm interested in talking about boundaries or talking about real love or talking about fear. It's really, what are you interested in talking about?
1: Well, we have time for all three. I like jumping in with the boundary topic because you, Mm -hmm. you talk about how we each have a boundary blueprint. It's like a unique Fingerprint, which I hadn't heard it said in that way around our patterns, mm. around boundary setting or lack thereof, in say coming from a family like mine. And so I wondered if you could maybe share some of your insights on that.
0: Sure. Well, uh, let's start with the fact that I think that boundaries are very misunderstood. And that, um, you know, when you say, oh, someone has really strong boundaries, it's not necessarily a compliment. Uh, when I ask mm. women in my groups, so well, what do you think about when I say, you need to have strong boundaries. They're like, oh, I'm worried people are going to think I'm mean and I'm worried I have to confront someone and I'm worried that people are going to think I'm a drama queen, that I'm high maintenance. Like It just goes on and on and on. Mm -hmm. And the reality, um, you know, Brene Brown has a very beautiful description for what having healthy boundaries is, which is basically just letting the people in your life know what is okay with you and what is not okay with you. Like that's the most base definition and I love the simplicity of that. And when you really think about it, those of you who are listening, how much of the time do you not let the people in your life know what is okay with you and what is not okay with you?
1: You know, Terry, as I hear you say that, I'm thinking that for me, sometimes it's not knowing how to let people in my life and I think other listeners as well, how how do we let people know what especially isn't okay? Cause I think that's where it gets a little more challenging, not wanting to let others down, et cetera. Mm-hmm. How do you help women with that?
0: Well, first of all, it's not really about the words. Although when I teach this in a course and in the Real Up Revolution course as well, I do a whole module on this because it's so important. So certainly, yes, words are important. Like actually, the words to say. But before I can, you know, I teach anyone or give any of the words, we have to understand why it's so hard. We have to kind of dive in a little bit and go, okay, so what is my my boundary blueprint? What did I learn from the family I grew up in? So if you grew up in a family that was very enmeshed and drawing boundaries was seen as being unloving then you would have this unconscious or subconscious association that drawing a boundary means I'm not being loving, which in real life is not true. It's Mm -hmm. just true for you and that limiting belief. So, you know, the way that I teach it, and I'm I'm happy to answer the question, no problem, but I'm just talking about the the trajectory of successfully saying the language is that we have to understand where are we having a transference? in life. Yeah. You I know you know what it means but but for other people listening it's like a transference is basically behaving or having a particular reaction to something that is happening right now but your reaction is fueled by something that is unresolved from the past. So if you let's say I had I had I have a good example of that. Yeah. I grew up in a family where my father was you know, definitely should have had sons. I was his fourth daughter, and he was mm. very quiet and he was very successful, and he was very had been like a a great athlete. All of these things that really like begged for him to have boys, but he had girls. So I kind of had like the wrong gender chip on my shoulder on top of being super ambitious, so I had something to prove to my father. But in reality, growing up in that, in my household, I was, as all my sisters were, and so was my mother, I was very afraid
1: mm. of my father. Okay. So
0: I was way loved by my mother, very affectionate, verbally affectionate, supportive, beautiful human. And with my father, because she feared him and he was not abusive. I mean, he was a high functioning alcoholic, but, you know, there was no physical abuse, but there was a lot of neglect and, and he never talked. So, if he ever did talk, I'd be like, "Something's wrong. Why is he talking? You know what I mean? so that that is a de- That's, you know, something in my unconscious mind. I thought it worked out. I had tons of therapy. So when I was going to grad school, I actually had an internship at a drug treatment clinic, and I would go in, each week go to my therapist and talk about how much I couldn't stand the guy who ran it. He was a very well-known writer at that time. He wrote a book about how to stop using, you know, about cocaine addiction because this was like still very popular in the 90s when I was getting my uh, degree. Yeah. And by like the third or fourth week where I'm complaining about Dr. Washington (laughs) and what a cold, judgmental jerk Mm. he was, (laughs) she was like, "Mm, can you describe him again? And I was like, he's tall, very handsome. He has dimples, (laughs) kind of Brooks Brothers suit wearing, Wall Street Journal reading. was like yeah who else would you describe exactly like that and I was like oh wow so I was having this crazy aversion not crazy but this um transference Mm -hmm. aversion to this guy who was basically my boss because the little kid in me was really reacting to how much he reminded me of my father and how I was afraid of him. So I acted, you know, because I was grown up, I was able to say, oh, he's an idiot. But inside, I was afraid of him and avoided him. So she's like, Terry, do do you see you're having this transference? So she really helped me deeply understand how real, like how real that transference can be, you know, in the moment. I really thought that this guy was a withholding, cold, judgmental jerk when he just was quiet, (laughs) you know.
1: Yes. Yes. It's like that overlay of our past upon our present functioning and circumstances.
0: Exactly. And why do we care? Well, we care, according to my therapist at the time, Ruth, she was like, well, Terry, you understand that you avoiding this person will not be good for your career there. Mm -hmm. How will he know how smart you are if you never talk in the meetings that he's in? Like, how do you know? And I literally just pivoted that day and decided that he was going to know how smart I was and that I had something to offer. But the moment that I had the realization that it was a transference, it no longer had a spell on me. I was no longer afraid of him. I just had to honor that that was real. I had that experience. So I teach my clients and any one of my courses and my groups quite a bit about how can you, um, how can you, identify when you might be having a transference in life and I've got three quick things that you can do do you want me to say them please?
1: yes absolutely
0: okay all right so if you have a very hot response or like a big response to something this is how we can sort of go huh well that was a bit of an overreaction um and I I couldn't even see my own overreaction is so my therapist helped me see it but the more you start to look at your own behavior and go, wow, I really exploded. Hmm, was is there something else going on here? Mm-hmm. And so I have these three questions and like a little additional thing that you can ask yourself if you want to try to identify if you're having a transference. And I came up with this after that experience once I became a therapist. I was like, oh, this is happening for me and I've had tons of therapy. This is yes. definitely happening for other people too. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so the questions you're going to ask are the first one is who does this person remind me of you know had i asked that question i would have been like oh my god this guy reminds me of my father so much you know the second one is how is this dynamic how is this dynamic familiar to me the way i'm interacting with this person so if i had known that i would have said oh look i'm avoiding him exactly the same way i did when i was a child i avoided my father because i was afraid of him and then the third question is how is this feeling familiar to me so it can be familiar for different reasons and the dynamic itself can be familiar not just because you were in that dynamic you might have witnessed that dynamic within your parents or within siblings or within something else so the questions sound kind of broad, but what they're doing is they're they're waking you up again to the fact that there's a parallel process going on in life, pretty much at all times when it comes to our emotional life. It's never just what it looks like mm-hmm. because the way we respond and our internal experience basically informs everything. And all of our unresolved injuries from the past are continually charged and continue to inform our lives in a way that we don't want it to. So it's such a great thing when you can start to go, oh, look, I had this reaction to my boss or my boyfriend or my girlfriend or whomever. Because when I asked the three questions, I realized they reminded me of my bully sister in that moment. Huh, interesting. So why do we care to know this? Well, we care because then you can go, then you can effectively problem solve. Even if you just soothe your inner child by being like, oh, hey, but you know what? Just the same way that my boss was not my father, your friend is actually not your boss's sister. You're just reacting. It's just a trigger to that unresolved pain from your childhood. So, And the last thing that, that I, I talk about when we talk about these, uh, I call it the three cues, meaning the three questions. Is there's this way that you can ask yourself, let's say you get nothing, you ask the three cues, but you're not, you go, I don't know. I still don't under, I'm still don't see what I might be repeating. The last thing you can ask is when I'm in this dynamic with this person, who do I become and who do they become? Mm. So let's say you might become your 10 year old self and they might become your authoritarian parent.
1: Yes. Yes. I'm just agreeing as you're talking. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I I thought you were still going. I was just agreeing. Like I'm resonating with what you're saying.
0: You're like, I got you. No, that that actually is one piece of how our boundaries get messed up because we have all of this unconscious material, not just having a transference, but we were taught from our family of origin from our caregivers, what boundaries are supposed to be and if we never question that it's kind of like visualize it like an architectural blueprint for a house
1: mm-hmm. that someone
0: else designed like maybe centuries ago you may not that house the way that your mom or your dad related to boundaries you may not want to do that and the the realization the freedom and the liberation that comes with realizing you don't have to you can love them And still learn a better way. Learn a way that's aligned with what you want in life. So, if you want a really juicy, deeply intimate relationship, well, then you need to learn how to speak truthfully and honor how you actually feel and give the people in your life good data, like actual information about who you are. But when you're raised to have, let's say, the disease to please, right? If niceness, was like the virtue that was valued above all other things, many of us as women were raised that way, then we don't know how to tell someone we don't like something or that we don't like their tone of voice or that we would like to make a simple request that they stop doing whatever the behavior is. Instead, we put up with it. We put it in the file cabinet of grievances in our Mm mind. We talk badly about them to our friends. We talk badly about them to the other people in the family. But we learned all of this indirect way to try to satisfy our needs. But there's such a better way to do it, which is a direct way. And you can learn. It's like the language of boundaries is just like any other language. So expecting that you should just know this, this thing that no one taught you would be like beating yourself up for not being fluent in Mandarin, even though you never learned it and no one ever taught you. But it's hopeful because you can learn now. So what are the steps that we take? Like, what what are the next questions, Lisa, about the boundary stuff? Because I know I said a lot of stuff just there. And
1: do you mind if I jump in to share an insight I'm having to, as like some Please of the do. layers of of what you're sharing. So as I heard you sure. talking about your father who you avoided, I was sensing that, you know, there, there was like fearing his disapproval caused you to later in your life, not take these risks around your boss to show your brightness, show your brilliance, show your ideas, which was holding you back until you had that awareness of the trigger of your boss and just connecting all those dot, dots and being able to fully express and be yourself professionally in that setting is that accurate?
0: Yes, you know what's interesting about it it's accurate because I had other bosses who were nothing like my father who I had no problem like when I was in entertainment business before I became a psychotherapist I had <laughs> no problem shining because I was not having a transference to the boss who was warm talkative affectionate short like look nothing like my father you know what i mean so that is very interesting yes. and insightful that you're exactly right
1: and so yeah and for our listeners i think it's, it's so important the way you're expressing just to really break it down into these three cues of who an individual reminds me of we are triggered we have these transferences all the time and mm-hmm. to have a framework to work to talk yourself through to soothe your inner child i think initially is is one of the first steps and then going beyond that can you I think that's where you're going to take us next some steps Mm -hmm. beyond having the awareness and making the connection
0: well once the self-soothing part that you added Lisa which is true is is once we're there once we're like hey you know what you're okay that was then this is now it Mm -hmm. was like we need a reminder like oh this person actually is not My dad, and I'm not 10. Like, there's all these grounding things we can do to instead of, you know, a lot of times that we'll fight for our limitations. Yes, yes. And tell people what we're bad at and how ugly our legs are and whatever, as opposed (laughs) to see, you know, searching for, seeking, actively looking for evidence of our capabilities. Mm. Right? Like, I, yeah. With my clients, I'm all like, okay, every single week we we learn to brag. We learn to say, I'm really proud. I worked hard on that. We see the things we've come through. We know how strong we can be. And that's a shift right there. If you want to become a boundary boss, as I like to call it, I love it. you got to stop, stop being afraid to be a boss. Stop being afraid to be the boss of you. Because even if your default position is letting other people be the boss of you, the reality is that is a choice and they can't be Mm -hmm. the boss of you, right? So, so we're just blaming them. Like I'm not happy because if this person were just not a jerk, then everything would be okay, but it's not true. That person can be a jerk and then it's on you to decide, well, what am I doing? How much of this person's jerkiness am I putting up with and why?
1: Yes. Yes. What
0: would it look like if I didn't? How could I say, cut it out? How could I say, this is a deal breaker for me, this behavior? Because in relationships, we have to go in and we have to know the difference. So this is the next step in the boundary conversation is understanding, really understanding the difference between what is a preference, right? What is a desire? What is a need and what is a deal breaker? So in relationships, not all boundaries are created equal, like where we make a request for something. You have to know your deal breakers in relationships. If for you, a deal breaker is, and for me it is because I'm in recovery myself, cannot be with any addicts. I don't care. Right. And, and I don't even want you to be recovering. I just want to know. I, just, I can be the only person in recovery in this relationship because that that's just what it was for me. That was a deal breaker because it's too triggering for me. So someone else that may not be their deal breaker, but if I were in a relationship and that were a deal breaker for me and the person knew it, and then they started drinking alcoholically, I would leave that relationship and they would have been forewarned or I would have a conversation and say, your drinking is threatening the relationship. We need to talk about it because you knew this when you met me or whatever. I find that most of the time, Women in particular, because that—that's you know at least eighty percent of my demographic—don't even uh, negotiate for their preferences. Mm. That we're we're way too um,
1: accommodating
0: to be like, yeah. oh yes, accommodating. But it's so much more than that. Like we literally say things like, "I'm good, no worries, it's all good, I'm not fussy." Really, is getting your needs met being fussy? No, it's not. Um. Stop minimizing what you want, and we some some people were habituated to the point of literally not even know what our preference is.
1: That's like what I was just thinking, Terry.
0: Who, you know yes. what I mean?
1: Exactly. Yeah, that you teach women to be aware of of their preferences, desires, deal breakers, because I think sometimes we're not even aware of them, like you were just saying.
0: Right, but what we're also not doing for the people in our lives, we think we're being loving. By being overly accommodating, what you're really doing is giving the people in your life faulty intelligence about you—bad intel, wrong data—and eventually that catches up with you. So it's like I remember when I was first with my husband; he was very much of like everything is fine, it's all great, Lola. La. He was you know widowed. I uh, had three acting out teenage sons, lived in New Jersey. I lived in Manhattan. I was never married. I, this was his, you know, he, he was widowed and divorced. And so I think he was so happy that I was like in love and like, I'll take yeah. the whole package. I don't care. That it was almost like he, he almost felt like to have any preference or, or to to have anything that he didn't like about me would be it was too threatening for him to deal with, you know? And I remember Mm -hmm. saying to him in the beginning of the relationship, like, hey, babe, like if there's something I'm doing that's kind of like bugging you or anything, like I really want to know, like really kind of specifically anything, like I would like to know. And in the beginning, he's like, what are you talking about? Everything's great, you know? And then I would ask again six weeks later, and he's like, you always want something to be wrong. Nothing's wrong. I'm like, you're misunderstanding me. Mm -hmm. I don't want something to be wrong i want to love you succinctly like do you, do you get it like i know that sounds crazy but if you have a preference and i could make your life easier or make you feel happier even if it's teeny i want to do it and you thinking you're doing me a favor by telling me everything is great you're not doing me a favor so then he goes okay you know when you take a shower and you have all that hair that falls out you leave it in there sometimes. Could you maybe take it out of there sometimes?
1: <laughs> awesome. Awesome. A request. Like, sure. He made a request. And you both went through a lot, Terry. Yeah. I'm thinking back to your yeah. TED talk that shortly after being together, being in grad school, you were diagnosed with cancer and mm-hmm. all that that shift that caused you to go down that path of decoding the mind body connection to fear. Which is a mm-hmm. part of our conversation, I think, around boundaries.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, that it's just a miracle. I don't even know how any relationship survives what we did in the first year. I mean, mm-hmm. we were together almost no time at all and my father dropped dead of a heart attack. Just died. He wasn't even old. He was 61 before Vic had a chance to meet him. It was so sad.
1: Mm-hmm. And that was
0: like so shocking. Literally we were together 8 weeks at that point. And he was just so I mean, Vic is and his you know, 22 years later he is still literally the most interesting person, my favorite person. Everything is better with him, you know? Anyway, so that's the first two months of the relationship. And then we move into the next month, I guess. I feel this big lump in my throat. I'm like, I wonder what the hell that is. Maybe we got, I don't know. My mother's like, oh, we have thyroid stuff. It's like a goiter or something, which it was not. So it was a, you know, cancerous tumor in the middle of my thyroid and my throat. So, and the backstory on this of why it was so um, loaded and painful besides just listen being diagnosed with cancer at any moment is scary as hell but my husband's wife Donna so beautiful died at the age of 29 leaving him in a oh. five of three and a one-year-old
1: yes three boys so
0: now I yes so three boys but keep in mind I came in like 10 years later 11 years later you know so now they're like young, like preteens and teens but <laughs> So I'm finally going to stick around. It's five months into this relationship or not even, and I get diagnosed with cancer. Imagine how the boys were like, oh, Oh. of course she does. Because women just die or leave. Like That's that's what's happening there. So painful. And I could have found something out about my husband, who was just my boyfriend at the time. Keep in mind, we weren't even engaged when this happened. Like, Imagine that he could have been like, oh, yeah, I've seen the end of this movie and it's frigging horrible. Like, I'm out of here but he was such a rock star and so supportive and so positive and became an expert on the kind, I had two different crazy kinds of cancer and became an expert on that. Anyway, so he was wonderful. It was a healing thing for him, you know, and we survived it, but then I got diagnosed with cancer again, a different kind of cancer again, still now we're at month nine. And then as we're getting, we just got engaged. We go out to celebrate and we end up getting held up at gunpoint
1: yeah, in your Basically home. Basically in our
0: backyard. One of the boys yeah, there. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. Uh, yes.
1: Traumatic.
0: Just, again, it was the scariest thing ever. So traumatizing. Forget it. I was like, I mean, because he, when I came out, what I could see was this person kneeling on my husband's back, my, you know, my boyfriend at the time with a nine millimeter to the back of Vic's head. So he was kneeling on Vic. And later on, I find out that my husband is, like, nonviolent dude, like, totally. The guy had the gun in his back, and he knew I was coming out. And Vic tries to get the gun away from the guy. I was like, Uh, are you mental? What is wrong with you? And he was like, I don't even know. I just was overtaken. I was so afraid he was going to do something to you, you know? So he got to see that he was brave. I was like, you're an idiot. Don't ever do that again. But... You live and you learn, and what I learned about boundaries in that moment—I mean, that's like a massive boundary violation. is—is is that so much of the thing is driven by fear? You know, at least like so much.
1: Well, and of what I was—how so, we live our lives. What I was so taken by through your story is—is is the way you allow you allowed yourself to reframe it and now use it to teach others by being so transparent about you and Vix experiences and and really using that as material to to help other women and people move through fear, shift it, looking at it as just a feeling and yes. then identifying the limiting beliefs that that might be supporting that fear and dismantling those in practical ways. Yes,
0: the the thing about it being a feeling though, Lisa, and this is something that was
1: so revolutionary for me because I had to be in the
0: paralysis of it for a period of time and of course I was already in therapy I was a therapist I was then I did trauma therapy and everything else because I my life got so small I went from being pretty fearless right or or facing my fears as we both have done with our fear of heights and different things we know um, yes to being terrified all the time like in my locked house mm. with my mm-hmm. freaking pit bull with a knife in the drawer and still not feeling safe. And that's when I got it where I was like, oh, because as long as this fear lives in my mind, I will never be safe. Like I need to get super intimate with this feeling and challenge it. You know, am I really unsafe? No, I'm just traumatized, which was normal for the yes. first, you know six to nine months but then the bottom line is I'm like I can't be afraid to be alone at my own house like for the rest of my life like I I never was and I don't want to be and so how I teach clients and what we talk about and what the TED Talk was kind of about was really understanding that unless you are in mortal danger unless you live in an active war zone Mm -hmm. that 98% of the time fear is just a feeling and just like feelings come and go, it's not. this is not a fixed state of being. If we allow it, fear will come and go as well. It doesn't have to mean stop. I want you to get curious about your fear. Don't just let your fear boss you around. It's like we give the keys to our lives to fear. It's your job is to take those keys back, get in the driver's seat, and fall in love with your fear. Look at it. Sometimes there's wisdom in our fear, So it isn't like banishing it. It isn't like shaming it and making it wrong because your fear wants to protect you. But the reality is if we listen to our fear, we'd never do anything in life. Right?
1: Yes. Yes. Terry, we need to take a quick two minute break right now. And then I'm going to bring you back on to continue our conversation. Fantastic. Awesome. So one of my sponsors is BetterHelp. They are an online counseling provider that provide you secure online therapy via phone, video, text, or email communication through their HIPAA-compliant platform. They have over 3,000 licensed therapists available to work with you worldwide. You can schedule and start communicating in under 24 hours. Their platform is on desktop, mobile, Android, and iOS apps, and it's secure, convenient, professional, and affordable. For my listeners, they are offering, offering you t- a 10% discount off of your first month by going to betterhelp.com forward slash A-T-T, standing for all things therapy. Check them out. And they do have financial aid available to those who qualify. That's betterhelp.com forward slash A-T-T. And now the station will play a commercial. enjoy And in all, make the world a better place for everyone. Welcome back. I am with Terry Cole. You can find her at terrycole.com, T E T-E-R-R-I-C-O-L-E. R R I C O L E. And Terry, you, you know, I, during the commercial, I thought, I don't think I've ever heard someone say, fall in love with your fear. It really mm-hmm. struck me in a profound way, and how beautiful that is and empowering that is. Right on. So,
0: there's something very, no, Okay, I I I wanted to say one more thing about that, that that part of the reframe on fear is that I spent many years of my life with, you know, going forward in my ambition in the entertainment business as a, you know, a talent agent representing supermodels and celebrities and that's what I did before I did this and it's like, I always looked at it like, oh, I'm just ambitious, cool, like, I just want to, Just want to get to the top, that's all, no big deal. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And what I really realized once I started doing therapy and I started sort of falling in love with my own fear was that I always truly believed I was running towards something. And what I realized in therapy over the years was that I was actually running away from something. Mm -hmm. Fear of being the wrong gender, fear of not being good enough fear of being a disappointment to my father, all of those things. And when I was able to finally just turn around and go, okay, so this is what it is. So this is the thing. This is what I've been running away from. Let me see if I can process that. Let me see if I can question that limiting belief because I'm not the wrong gender. Mm -hmm. because I'm not worse than a boy that my father could. Like when when you bring it to your consciousness, your mind, you're like, wow, that is such a childhood thing. Because as a grown-up woman, I'm like, hello, no, that isn't true. So anyway, falling in love with your fear, what it gives you is the ability to appreciate how sometimes your fear really can save you from painful things. And we have to find the difference between fear and intuition. But when we push it away, it's just this monster of confusion. And so my feeling is bring it close. Like, hey, pal, since you're never going anywhere, (laughs) I'm going to feel you. But it doesn't feel the same. It doesn't stop you. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I hear you. So Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if in our last 10 minutes, can we talk about love? I I've been in therapy for a long time myself. And in the last three years, I've been working with a coach to help me understand my patterns in love and kind of the barriers that, that I had put up to romantic love. And I know you're offering the real love revolution in February. Can you talk to us about Um, your methods?
0: Sure. Um, Well, part of, My whole reason for for even getting into the love game is that it was something that I literally never thought would happen in my life. And Mm. I mean, got into my 30s and never really was like, I don't want to get married. All my friends were getting married. And I was like, why? It looks so meh. Like, it looks so, <laughs> I could do meh by myself. Like, I don't I don't <laughs> want to do that. <laughs> my parents did not have a happy marriage. They were not miserable because they were too, like, waspy to, like, fight or do anything that would be considered ghost. But, you yeah, <laughs> know, they were not happy. And then ultimately, my mother had an affair with her boss at the IGA. And when people say to me, you know, what, what broke up your parents' marriage? I'm all like, uh, my parents' marriage broke up my parents' marriage. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't yeah. the affair, per se. It was like... Something had to give. So anyway, point is, I was so blown away by the fact that once I understood my downloaded love blueprint about love, about why I had been relating to love in the way that I had, where my limiting beliefs came from, where my worthiness stuff came from, it was within a very short period of time that I actually met. Vic, who, you know, if I were doing anything back in the day where I'd write down 7,000 things a person should have and what they right. look like and what they, right. whatever, he wouldn't have had any of those things. He was widowed, divorced, had three acting out teenage sons, lived in Elizabeth, New Jersey. <laughs> like, but he was my person. And so, in understanding my downloaded blueprint, it opened my mind and my heart. And it was like, I really did become this this beacon of love for myself and that's the process that I teach women whether you're partnered or whether you're single the the real love revolution is for both. I have 50/50 basically in the course.
1: Okay. Because okay. It's,
0: it's like we unleash our own love light by by falling madly and deeply in love with ourselves and by you know really unpacking all that unconscious crap that's been getting in the way. And yep. then suddenly before you know it Your love light is so bright, it's kind of like, you know, like the lighthouse, right? She doesn't do anything. She just shines her light and the ships find her. So imagine that that could happen for you, that your love light could become so bright that your beloved would find you rather than feeling like you had to do more or be more or wait three days to get back to someone. It's this different emphasis on self-knowledge self-acceptance, right? Self-compassion. So I created these five pillars of real love and that's self-awareness, self-knowledge, self-acceptance because so much of the time we're so wanting to be in denial of what happened in our young lives. And we want to be like, well, I'm grown up. I don't want to blame my parents. They did the best they could. I'm like, yeah, man, we're not blaming your parents at all. (laughs) Why? but you still have to process (laughs) that's still exactly in your life. It is still impacting you right now. So we you know, blanket statement, all of our parents did the best they could. God bless. But now let's move on to how do we undo the damage they did to us so that we can all go
1: on to find revolutionary love. Shall we? I love this. Can you share the five pillars or is that, Sure. I, know, I know we're running out of time. We oh, are sure, a little bit over. Sure. I'm just no, so I, curious. I, it's really important. Sure.
0: So we have self-awareness because you cannot change anything that you're unaware of. So I do all kinds of inventories of, you know, childhood stuff, but also, you know, grammar school stuff. We do, we do a deep dive into that. And then we move into real self-knowledge. So that's where we open both drawers of memories not just the ones we saw in picture frames but actually the real crap that happened because it's important and that stuff if we don't open that drawer then it continues to drive you in relationships and then the third one is self-acceptance so you can't again we can't change what we're in denial of and we have to just let the chips fall where they may it's okay our parents failed us in some ways if you're a parent you've already failed your kids in some ways i'm a parent i failed my kids it this is life But if we need to make it all rosy, then then we never get to the stuff we need to get to, you know. So we're we're all flawed. We're all human. We're all worth loving. There we go. So acceptance is major. And then the fourth pillar, which I think is probably the hardest for the women in my my audience is self-compassion. Where instead of telling ourselves how we should pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and we should already be over it and it happened decades ago, where we actually learn what it's like to be compassionate to ourselves every day. What does that really look like? Caring yeah, about what we class. experienced, mm-hmm. you know? And I then do. the last one is self love and self celebration. That's what we get to in the end of this 12 week. 11 module course it's only for women though I have to say so it, it's all female um, and it's all virtual so you could do it from the comfort of your couch and I've had women from 25
1: countries in the course already that's wonderful how can our listeners find out about this Terry and and get more information to register
0: yes well I have a free gift so so if you go to terrycole.com forward slash gift there's like a little uh, real love revolution, kind of a starter kit, where I give you some questions for your your real your um downloaded love blueprint questions, and I give you a free beautiful guided meditation. So that's the beginning, and then that will get you onto my list, and then we'll we'll already be talking about it. It starts the first week in February, and you're you guys, if you follow me on on um, you know any social media, I'll be talking about it like crazy because between yes. really. Almost now and February, I almost exclusively talk about love communication boundaries of, you know, what do we need to do to actually get the love we want to make really 2020 your year of revolutionary love.
1: I love this. I'll put it out to my audience as well. Thank you for the gift to our listeners today. So terrycole.com forward slash gift to learn more about the Real Love Revolution course starting in February of 2020.
0: Exactly. This was so much fun, Lisa. Thank you for having me.
1: Terry, thank you for real. You're definitely changing consciousness one conversation at a time with with all the material you have available and accessible online.
0: Right. Uh, Well, that's my that is literally my trip in life is is to empower as many people as possible.
1: So you think I'm doing that. Absolutely. I'm so glad we're connected. Thank you.
0: Me, too. Thank you so much.
1: You're welcome. Have a great rest of your day. That concludes my show today with Terry Cole. Again, go to the link she just offered, listeners, for her Real Love Revolution course starting in February. You can you can get more information at Terry T E R R I Cole C O L E dot com forward slash gift. Thank you for being with me today. I hope you are going into creating a wonderful weekend. All of my love, and I'll be with you next week. Bye-bye. You're listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir,